Good morning, Centerway Church. How's everybody doing today? We're good. Good morning, everybody. My name is Meredith. My husband, Claude, and I are the lead pastors here at Centerway Church. And just like that opener said, we truly want you to make yourself at home. Um, feel free to get coffee. Take your time coming in. I'm just going to talk through some things that we normally go through every week, primarily for our guests. Um, but welcome to everybody. Welcome to everybody in the room today. Welcome to all those joining us live online. We know we have a lot of people traveling for winter break and things, and they're already saying hi in the chat. So um, hi to you guys. I can't wait to see you in the room next week. Um, and hello to anyone that's just watching or listening live, or not live, watching or listening later in the week. Um, certainly a special welcome to any guests in the room. We've prayed for you, and we really want this to be a low-pressure environment for you. We want you to just feel at home. We know it can be difficult to try a new place for the first time. Um, and so we've developed a few avenues to serve you and to answer any questions that arise today. Certainly, if you see anyone with a lanyard or anybody that's up here today, you can ask questions. But these next few minutes that I'm going to talk through from some things primarily are for you. Now, for those that are normally in the room, you will have some new information today, um, so hold tight as well. But for those guests, one way that we hope to serve you is by connecting with you. And so we'd love for you to share your information so that we can just follow up and get feedback from you. We're not going to hunt you down. We're not going to um, pressure you into coming back or anything like that. Um, we just want to be able to get feedback and follow up with you. In fact, if you'd like to do that, there are two ways. One, is by hard copy. There's a card in front of you, um, in the chair in front of you, and you can fill out that info card. And if you fill it out, just please put it in the offering box in the back on your way out. And right at the bottom of that card, it says the three things that we'll do with it um, and nothing else, I promise. And um, the second way is electronically. So if you'd like to complete an info card, that way you can do that by going to the Next Steps page of our website. You can also do it using an app that we use here at Centerway called uh, the YouVersion app, or you may know that as the Bible app. Um, the instructions are on the screen on how to connect, and I think that actually tells you how to find our live event. So once you have that app, it's useful for a number of different things, not just to connect or share your information or to give, but you can also take notes on there. You can follow along. And there's a cool feature um, using the QR code, or you can find it right in the app that you can actually make Centerway your church. And that's just a way to, like, connect with other people and see what people are making notes on and, um, if there's any plans that we do as a church, you'll be able to find that there. So there's some cool features there. I won't go into all of them. Um, speaking of giving, I already mentioned giving through the app. But if there are other ways you want to give, and of course, this does not apply to our guests. We would not expect you to give um, here as a guest unless you feel led to, of course. But um, if you attend regularly and prefer not to use the app, you can also use an envelope in the seat in front of you and put that in the box in the back. Um, and you can also go to the Give uh, tab of our website and do that there. Uh, so I think that's it in terms of some of those logistics. That today is week eight of nine of this Built to Be series. I don't know about anybody else. I'm sad to see it come to an end. This Nehemiah journey is one that we started back in the fall with the uh, Being Built series. And then we took that little break for Advent and Ezra. And now here we are with the Built to Be series. And we're in week eight. One more week to go after that. Um, it's been incredibly life-giving. The conversations and circles have been amazing. Um, but anyway, if you missed any of that, it is a narrative. So there, it does kind of build on itself. It's a story being told. And so if you want to find any of that, you can certainly find that on our website. Um, more on that in a minute. But if you want, like, a journal, they're free in the back. There's only a few left because we only have these next couple weeks to go. But even now, if you want to get up and get one, that's totally fine. You won't be interrupting anything. And if you're online and you'd like a journal, just email us and we'll send you one. Um, but we have resources throughout the 
the week so that you can connect and engage the text. We don't just want to come here on a Sunday, hear it, and then leave and forget about it and not do anything with it. And so some of the resources we have are like, for example, wallpapers for your phone or your desktop, just to remind you of the application. We have a Spotify playlist you can just be playing throughout the week. It holds all the songs that we've done throughout the entire series. Um, We have social media that we post on um, here and there. And then we have our Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals. Now, there's two ways to engage the devotionals. One, you can always find them on our website. In fact, all of the, um, the resources I mentioned you can find on the messages page of our website. In terms of the devotionals, though, you can also subscribe to them if you want them right to your inbox. Um, and there's a number of ways to do that. Next steps, we all have one. And so if you're looking to take a next step and don't know what it is, we would be happy to help you with that. Um, There is a next steps area in the back as you leave today that Claude will be at, um, or you can visit that particular page of our website if you're looking for kind of what's what's next in my journey. And and even if you're here and you don't have a relationship with God, um, even you have a next step. And so we'd be happy to help you um, with that as well. Uh, also, another page of the website that's worth checking out is the calendar page. There's a number of things coming up. We're currently in a circle cycle. We have some student activities coming up. And mark your calendars for our vision meeting that's going to be on March 17th at 6 p.m. That's a night where we have worship and vision nights throughout the year, but this is our particular like annual sort of business and vision meeting. And uh, But we will still have a time of worship and prayer, and um, you'll hear the 2024 vision. So that's going to be a great night. That's a Sunday night. Um, finally, if you have any questions, feedback, or you need prayer, please email us um, at connect at centerwaychurch.com. That is probably the best way to connect with us. Um, And so here's what to expect for the rest of the gathering today. Claude will be communicating from the Bible, and then after that, we will respond to the word through singing. Now, at this point, if you've been here any length of time, I would just normally pray, and we would get into it. But one thing that you can expect for the gathering today is a little bit different. Um, and we have, So we have something unique happening today that's sort of like a soft launch, um, if you will. And we have, we're going to have our fifth and sixth graders be joining us in here for worship. Um, and so we're kind of testing this approach over three different Sundays between now and April in the hopes that it would become a weekly thing. Um, And so the way we make decisions around here, our strategy is to be spirit-led, gospel-centered, and disciple-making. And we feel like that fits with our strategy. So for those that don't know, just a little side note, we don't normally go into all this information on Sunday, so hold tight. But our Centerway kids um, are hearing the same text that we're hearing in here. So at all age-appropriate ways. Literally, the babies are hearing like a little word, the toddlers are hearing something, and then our Centerway kids are hearing it as well. Um, And they have a unique way of applying it. And so our preaching team all works together. And it's just a really neat, cohesive way um, of serving our kids and hearing them you know, learn the text and growing up and maturing spiritually. And so, um, and we love that families can then talk about the application throughout the week because you're all hearing the same thing. That said, we feel like our older kids could use another way to engage. And so they're going to hear the message. Pastor Tara is going to speak like she always does. But the fifth and sixth graders are going to have two leaders that, of course, are background checked and trained, just like all of our kids team. And they're going to take them um, into uh, the room next door and they're going to have sort of like a circle. They're going to discuss some things and talk about it. And then they're going to join us in here for worship. And so the kids have a fantastic time of worship in there. They do. Um, But it's a little bit more kiddish, right? And so these older kids are kind of wanting something different. And so they're going to um, have the opportunity to join us in here. So we're saying that. So one, that you can kind of understand our approach if you're a parent in here, although you did get an email, hopefully. Um, But also you're going to see some kids filing in here at the end and we don't even be like distracted by it. Um, I think they're going to probably come in once we're all standing, um, but there'll probably be some amount of commotion because... 
there's some fifth and sixth grade boys in there. So um, how can there not be? Uh, <laughs> um, but as we continue to grow, we're really excited to continue to break out age groups and offer more specific opportunities for them to engage the text, really become biblically literate, understand the word of God and grow. Um, so one last thing. And then I'll stop, I promise. Um, On a logistical note, for parents of fifth and sixth graders, if you have your security tag, um, they're going to be in this row over here, somewhere in this region. And if you want them to stay in their row and wait for your tag, you just need to let a leader know. Otherwise, they're going to be dismissed with everybody else, which is different than what you're used to. Normally, you have to walk back there, show your tag, all that thing, all that kind of thing. But since they'll be in this room with you, they'll just be able to be free to go. So if you want that to be different, you need to let one of our kids' team know, okay? I know that was a lot. That was a lot of information. And again, not something we typically talk through every week, but we wanted you to know, and we're excited because we love to uh, innovate and try new things. And, and we love to get feedback. So parents, let us know what your kids think about us doing this, but let's, let's pray together. God, we just love your house. We love being in your presence together. We love gospel centered community. We love how it changes us. And it's sometimes vulnerable and messy. Um, But God, we're so thankful that we get to do this and that we get to um, dive into your word alongside other people. We get to worship corporately. We get to lift up your name. And God, we really pray that in this moment, you would take all the glory and all the praise. This is all for you, Jesus. You are so deserving of all of our worship. And I just pray that we would receive your word gladly today and worship our hearts out at the end. And uh, we're just so thankful for all you're doing at Centerway and in the lives of all those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Meredith. Uh, if we go long today, it's not on me. I mean, it's not her fault either. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just, just, that's my wife, for those of you that don't know. Um, so feel free, add me to your prayer list, whatever needs to happen appropriately. I'm kidding. <laughs> Sorry. Like, that's funny. How about I cough in your ear? If you're uh, on the podcast, you're going to love that. Um, so... My name is Claude. Hello and welcome to Centerway. Uh, as uh, if you may, may not know this, but uh, I totally lost my train of thought. Sorry. Uh, I'm Claude. That's my wife, Meredith. We're the lead pastors here at Centerway and want to welcome you for a second. What? No. I'm just distracted enough to where I feel like I thought I said something wrong, so I thought she was helping me out. But no. We're going to just restart and see how this happens. But as mentioned earlier, uh, we're continuing in our series through the book of Nehemiah. The series is entitled uh, Built to Be. Built to Be, and uh, Meredith already mentioned that. Today's talk is actually entitled Trusting God. And so if we kind of put that together, uh, followers of Jesus are built to be trusting God. We're built to be trusting God. And I know that every week we have a mixture of people, not only in this space, but listening or watching. And uh, wherever you find yourself in your spiritual journey, I want to welcome you to engage and consider the impact of what it might look like to follow Jesus uh, with your life. And I want to start by sharing a little bit of a story, and it harkens back. I don't know why I'm entertained by using the word hearken, uh, but I am. It harkens back to my uh, earlier years, actually my sixth grade years. So maybe it makes perfect sense with the fact that the fifth and sixth graders will be in here. But um, I actually remember these kids' names. I remember their last names and everything. Uh, I obviously don't have permission to share the story, so I'm only going to share their first names. But there was, there was a, a guy by the name of Jason, and uh, 
I'll never forget it. Like as if it was yesterday, we're in our gym class and Jason in a moment of brilliance just starts barreling towards the basketball hoop and he jumps through the air and all of our jaws just fall open as Jason reaches up and just hits the bottom of the net. Now, as a sixth grader, he might as well have done like a 360 dunk. Like, he touched the net. It was like unreal. The place came unglued. We couldn't believe it. He touched the net. And I know now, whatever, there's personal trainers and stuff. Kids are probably dunking in fourth grade. I don't care. The point is, back in like the 80s when I was, no, was it the 80s? Dear Lord. Um, probably was the 80s. I was in sixth grade. But back then, like, to have a sixth grader jump up and touch the bottom of the net, like, it was amazing. He was a specimen to behold. Like, we could not believe it. And uh, I remember everything about him, and I remember one of the kids followed up after him, and we're like, oh my goodness, Josh is about to do it too. And he jumps up, and he is like at least a foot away, <laughs> like not even close, kind of like this swinging, awkward motion. And, and he lands, he's like, oh my gosh. And now, Josh loved basketball and he wanted so badly to be taller and to jump higher. And so I, I remember the moment when we were like, we circled around Jason. We're like, dude, how did you do that? And we're like, that's amazing. And he's like, all right, all right, all right. I'll tell you how I did it. <laughs> and we're like, well, okay. We're like all ears. And he's like, first, you've got to hang from a pole. He's like, cause that's how I got taller. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's what he said. That's how, I got, that's how I got taller. I hung from a pole. We're like, okay, check. Hang from poles. All right. What else? He's like, the other thing, if you grew up in my era, you're going to know. He gets down and he's like, you need these. Right? All right. You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. If you don't, you're too young or you're too old or something. But Reebok pumps, man. He had Reebok pumps. And Reebok used to be awesome. And pumps used to be even cooler. Like you used the tongue. There's like a basketball on it. And you squeezed it. And it pumped up your shoes. It was amazing. And so I just remember he was like, what? He's got Reebok pumps. And I rem- like we were all enamored and blown away. What I was not prepared for and what I reflect on and remember even more so as I got older is because it became more entertaining as we got older and we never let Josh live it down is that Josh would spend any amount of free time that we had hanging from the pole in the gym. Like there was those pull-up bars that were used to be attached to the gym before we like cared about kids splitting their heads open. And so, (laughs) and so he would just hang from the pole and we're like, oh my gosh, like Josh is all in. And uh, what we didn't know is that Josh was also saving up all of his money, all of his chores and everything. He was saving up his money. And he came in one day with the pumps. And I remember he got down was like, (laughs) we're like, oh my gosh, he's been hanging for days on end. He's got the pumps all pumped up. And he starts running to the hoop in a moment of brilliance. And Josh jumps through the air and is not even a little bit closer to the bottom of the net. He just falls and tumbles to the ground and he's devastated and we're entertained. We're a little bit confused because he did follow Jason's instructions. Um, there was one detail. Uh, Jason was about a foot and a half taller than Josh. And, uh, <laughs> and it remained that way most of their lives. Uh, Jason continued to grow and Josh did not. Uh, Jason ended up becoming a very good basketball player and, um, well, Josh didn't. But in any case, uh, 
the, the reason I tell that story is because I think on some level it resonates with all of us. We know what it's like to kind of see someone do something that we've always wanted to do and then lean in and wonder how it is that we can participate. They, they accomplish the goals that we want, whether it's an action that they're doing or something with their life. Maybe they accomplish their financial goals or their job goals or their family goals or whatever. And we're like, we're just, we're blown away. We're leaning in. We want advice. We want to understand how can we do that as well. And so the question I want to ask you as we begin the, the message today and move into the text is this, why do we sometimes allow others to influence us? Why do we sometimes allow others to influence us? Now, I say allow because that's an important word. We, we, we allow people, and, and the proof is we choose who we will allow ourselves to be influenced by. We don't really like that it's a choice. The reason that we don't like that it's a choice is because on the front end, when we're choosing, we're all in. But when we reap kind of the consequences of who it is we've chosen to influence us, we come up with reasons as to why it's simply not our fault. You know, we like to think that we got caught up in moments, you know. In some way, we're a victim of other people's influence. You know, we're just hanging out with the wrong crowd. You know, it's not my fault. I just got wrapped up into it. It's it's not my kid's fault. They started hanging out with the wrong group. And we can go through all the reasons as to why in some way we're victimized by influence. But the truth is we allow that influence. We allow it as individuals. We lean in to some form of influence. Why is that? I want to submit to you something that's actually not that profound, but it's possible you've never considered it. The thought that that we sometimes allow others to influence us because they possess something we want. They possess something we want. Now, it might be something tangible. Like I said, the, the portfolio, the family, the vehicle, the whatever. And we say, how did you get that? I want to get that too. So it might be a physical thing that they possess. But it also could be something intangible, like popularity, love, respect. And because they they accomplish these things, because they're seen as important, because they're seen as influential, suddenly we elevate them and we emulate them and we lean in and we, we watch them in a crowded room. How can we be like them? How can we be loved like them, accepted like them? How can we be important like them? And we, we buy into this and, and our culture leans into it all the more and we promote it. And so we run ourselves ragged trying to, to get ourselves into the right groups and the right clubs and the right things to... To what? To, to impress them? To feel better about ourselves? I'm not sure. Unfortunately, there's several examples of this running rampant in our society as a whole. I mean, maybe already I've sold you enough because you can think about the way that you've done this in your personal life. But the, the truth is it, it happens at the very highest level. Uh, professional athletes are the best example. They range from Olympians to cyclists uh, to baseball players that were influenced by fame. They're influenced by financial benefits. And so they, they kind of came into to this idea of engaging into whatever it takes to accomplish what it is that those people have accomplished. They got the finances, they, they got the sponsorships. And so what did they do? How did they get their goal? And, it, and there's a ton of, 
of documentaries and all these series that are out about how steroid use and doping just runs rampant, ran rampant and runs rampant in different environments at the highest level. People that are tremendous athletes that have worked so hard and when they're at the most critical moment of their lives, they just exchange it all as quickly as they can. They understand the risks or they say they did. And then they come toppling down and they say, I, I, got, I got caught up. It's too much money, too much fame. You work so hard and you're still this far away and you see people that are cheating to get ahead and you just say, you know what? I'm in, whatever it takes. We get influenced. It's a choice. They chose it. We choose it. This concept of influence, it's not a new idea. It's been part of our society from the beginning of time. This tension is a human tension. We see what others have and we choose to be influenced by the way they live their lives. Sometimes, and get this, because it seems rather unbelievable, (laughs) sometimes at the expense of the stability of our own lives. Think about that for a second. Like, we're so maybe deceived or wrapped up in the moment We see people accomplishing certain things. We see them getting their goals or we see them getting praise or the promotion or whatever. And then suddenly we compromise that which we know to be right or we know to be true. And at the expense of the stability of our own lives, we permit ourselves to be influenced by the worries and the cares of the world around us. And we model it. We model it to those closest to us We model it to our children, to our grandchildren, to our family members. Listen, we're people of integrity, unless there's something to gain. (laughs) Listen, this stuff, this is just stuff. It doesn't matter unless there's something dad wants. (laughs) Then it matters. (laughs) And it matters to the point where we're going to get it at all costs. Why? Because it's something I want. But don't worry. I'll make sure that you're raised right. We model it. You see, we often don't have an accurate picture of what we might be gaining and what we might be exchanging. Like I said, I've, I've referenced, and I was going to reference certain documentary, uh, docu-series and stuff, but there's like, there's literally endless examples of, uh, of Olympians and professional baseball players. It's just crazy that's out there where they're saying like, listen, if I had to do over again, there's no way. Like, look at what it's cost me. Look at where I am now. And then there are those that will say, listen, if I had to do over again, I would. But my life is a wreck. (laughs) What? And then they say, there's nothing like winning. I'd do it all over again just to win, even at the expense of the stability of my life. And then you realize how lost those people really are. So let me ask you, Who are you allowing to influence your life? Who are you allowing to influence your one and only life? Who are you allowing to influence your kids' lives? Your grandchildren's lives? Your cousins, your nephews, your nieces, your brothers, your sisters, your loved ones? Who is influencing them? How are we influencing those whom we love? That's a bummer of a question. 
you know, because it's a little bit easier to look back and be like, that's right. You know what, Claude? That's right. I'm sick of people influencing my grandchildren like that. It ends today. And then you're like, who are you influencing? You're like, let's not talk about me. <laughs> let's talk about all those bad people out there making poor choices. I'd love to really lean into them instead. But who are you influencing with the way you live your life? What are you saying matters versus what it is that's being displayed in the rhythm of the life that you live to those that are following you? You're discipling them. You're discipling. The definition of disciple actually is connected to the idea that one who follows close enough to have the sand of the sandals in front of them on their body. That's what it means close proximity. I'm following them so close that I'm actually getting dirty from the dirt that they're kicking up. Oftentimes we think of discipleship as like outside of our our home, but the reality is the responsibility of discipleship happens under our roof. It happens in the closest proximity of those we live with, those that we have a sphere of influence, those that we work with, those who are on our sporting teams, those who are our friends. Those are the people we're influencing. Who is following you and where Are you leading them? I actually love um, hiking. I love hiking in the Adirondacks. Um, I'm pursuing uh, becoming a 46er. I'm at 39, so I've got a little bit to go. One of my favorite things to do in the Adirondacks is to actually hike in the winter. Uh, I know that that sounds insane, but I actually really love it. And uh, I have aggressive snowshoes, and I love hiking in the winter and doing high peaks. And uh, recently I was up in the Adirondacks and and had the opportunity to be hiking on what's called an unmarked trail. So when you go up into the Adirondacks, there's two different types of trails you can be on. There's one that's marked and that means there's colored discs that the New York State DEC places on trees so many yards apart. So you can make sure you're following the trail in a situation like the winter where everything looks like it's a trail. (laughs) And um, then there's what's called unmarked trails unmarked trails, I think you get it. No discs, right? So there's no discs. So now you're in the wilderness and you're forging the trail. You're either following the trail of the people that have broken out the snow before you, or you are in the unfortunate situation to break the trail. And I say unfortunate because in the Adirondacks, the snow could get as high as your waist or even the middle of your chest. And you're trying to break the snow out as you're hiking. I like it. I don't know why I have a problem. But uh, we were recently up there and, and we were on an unmarked trail and we had to break the trail. So the snow is getting deeper. It's at our knees, it's at our thighs and we're breaking it out. And I begin to feel a unique pressure. I begin to feel a unique pressure because as we're going through the forest, there's no clear trail that we can follow before. And it occurs to me as I have, I have my GPS open and I'm dropping a pin where we're at and I'm making sure that we're on track. We're looking at maps and we're forging this trail as we're breaking it out. And this thought comes over me and it's the third time I've broken out a trail in my life. And so it's the third time I've felt this pressure. The pressure is this, people will follow us. People will follow us. Like, if I get lost right now, there could be a a row of 
teenagers that have never been hiking before that made the poor choice to come out on a day like today and they're following a trail that they believe some responsible person has broken out before them and where will I lead them? Where will I lead them? Is it the most efficient trail? Is it the safest trail? Have I thought about this at all? And so I begin to feel this pressure of breaking out a trail. Why? Because people are following me in a very real way and I want to tell you It's a pretty healthy fear. It's a pretty healthy weight to feel. Because we want to be safe for ourselves, but we also want to consider those that will follow this trail after us. Where am I leading them? And I got to tell you, that's just a hike. That's just a hike. At the end of the day, somebody following me with a GPS that's that's as prepared as I am, they could look and be like, why did this idiot go this way? (laughs) I think he just cut their own new trail, right? It's just a hike. But what about our lives? It's, it's a perfect example because sometimes life is difficult. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we have to kind of pause and figure out, get our bearings. Or, or do we know where we're actually headed? Or are we so busy kind of keeping our head down that we're not paying attention? Are we working so hard that we might be leading those that are following us toward the wrong things? Because this world is dangerous. There's difficulties. There's hardship. Where are we leading people with the way we live our lives? That is a healthy weight to feel. I'm not saying be crushed by it. I'm saying feel the weight of it. Feel the responsibility of it. Realize that there are people that are watching. I want to tell you that everyone in this room, regardless of your age or or regardless of your socioeconomic situation, you should feel that weight because you are influencing people. People are watching. People are following. They see the difficulty of your life and they wonder how you'll respond. They see what it is that you prioritize versus what it is that you minimize. What it is you say you prioritize versus what it is you actually prioritize. That's another bummer, right? We make paths. We make paths. And people follow them. And as humans, we follow paths. Now, sometimes we forge our own paths, for sure. But even when we are forging our own path, we are being led by our values and our convictions. That's interesting. I do a lot of leadership consulting for organizations and churches. And whenever I do consulting, we talk about this idea of values. And it's funny when you get around a table and you start to say, so what are your values? And we kind of brainstorm. And they're like, well, one value is, and they say like, you know, helping people. I'm like, "Mm, that's a great value. All right, let's write that down, helping people. So tell us how your organization has helped people in the last six months. Well, I mean, we value it. Like, right, and because you value it, there should be evidence of you having done it. So how have you done it? And they're like, okay, well, I guess that's a goal. I'm like, right, it's a goal. Sometimes we get convoluted in our life. We declare that things are values, but we don't live our life as evidence. You can't say, listen, our value is that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Like, really? So how do you serve the Lord? And you're like, well... It's a goal. Wow. All right. So values 
are what it is that's revealed by the way you live our, your life. For some of us, that could be rather devastating. Because if we take an account of what it is that our life reveals, suddenly our values are kind of embarrassing, kind of devastating, kind of like we're being influenced by people that are living a lesser version of their one and only life. And we're getting in, we're getting in rows like, let's do this. Let's follow this to nowhere. Let's get all the stuff. Let's pile it up and complain that our stuff isn't new. Then let's work really hard and get more stuff and then wonder why it is that the stuff keeps getting old. And let's look at our kids and say, things matter more than stuff. Hey, mom, I got a question. Why do we have so much stuff? Shut up, son. (laughs) You're such a cute, dumb little child. (laughs) Like, you're saying one thing, but we're doing another We're being led by our values and our convictions. So the core of what we need to evaluate is the way that we're living our lives. We're either following the world or we're learning to follow Jesus. We're either following the world or we're learning to follow Jesus. You see, if you're learning to follow Jesus, then it's completely acceptable to say, listen, we are following him to the best of our ability and here are the places that we're failing. Here's the places we're moving forward and this is what we're working on. We're praying about, we're reevaluating, we're prioritizing, we're reprioritizing, we're changing. Why? Because our values and our convictions are leading us to a place to be aware of where it is that we're falling short, not in our attempt to be something, but in the outflow of our transformation. I know I touched on an an iceberg there, and we'll get back to that in a moment. The thing to be cognizant of is that we don't live in a vacuum. The world around us is trying to influence us. They pay gajillions of dollars, not a word I know, billions of dollars, billions and billions of dollars in marketing and advertising. Why? To just inundate it, just inundate you. Tree stand. Tree stand, tree stand, tree stand. Some of you will open your social media today and see a tree stand in your social media. Why? Because you just heard me say tree stand, tree stand, tree stand, and your phone is listening. Yeah. You're like, darn it. Some of you are like, I had a tree stand in there before, so. All right, whatever. I just tried to pick something random. and But, but that's, that's how much money is dumped into advertising and marketing. It's dumped in, why? Because they're trying to sell you stuff and there's dollars that, so they're gonna influence you and they're gonna hit your social media and it's gonna come up and you're gonna see a tree stand and you're gonna say, Claude, I hate you. (laughs) Like, I don't care about tree stands. Your phone thinks otherwise. The world is trying to influence us. And today's text addresses this. It addresses it in a way that, that is beyond the, the length of time. It was all the way back to the beginning, the very beginning. And in Nehemiah chapter 13 at verse 1, it says this. It says, On that day they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. 
So that sounds kind of like a a weird verse to start off with, but it's important because this is actually a flashback. It's a flashback to the earlier part of Nehemiah, if you were with us, and they're making reference to a time that the book of Moses was read publicly. And it's a reminder of how they were told that they weren't supposed to be exposed to these people groups. And so the, the verse is setting a stage that's about to be revealed. It's reminding us, the reader, that certain people were not to be in proximity specifically to the people of Israel. And the reason why was because of their negative influence. Because of their negative influence. These people had a long history of opposition to God and what could be considered an infectious idolatry. They worshipped other gods. They worshipped the things of this world so much so that it began to influence the people of Israel. And the people of Israel began to worship the created things of this world instead of the God of heaven. Very, very timely. Sounds very familiar to the world we live in. (laughs) So this isn't a racist thing. It's important to realize that. that God isn't saying, like, stay away from those people. They're dirty. No. It's not a racist thing. It's a beware of those who influence you type thing. Now, for a little bit more context, if you recall, earlier in Nehemiah, we met someone by the name of Tobiah. Tobiah was attempting to kind of undermine Nehemiah's rebuilding of the wall. And he was an enemy of the community. And he was also an Ammonite. Which is why this is important and connected at the beginning part of chapter 13. Because at verses 4 and 5, it goes on to say this. Now before this, Eliashib, the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, and who was related to Tobiah prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levites, singers, and gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests. So there's something important taking place here that you may or may not understand. Based on the description of what it is that was present in the room that Eliashib is giving to Tobiah, it's evidence that he is permitting Tobiah to take up residency in the temple. So Eliashib is influenced by Tobiah, and he disobeys Nehemiah's warning about these people, about Tobiah specifically, and he also disobeys and ignores the warning of God about not exposing yourself to idolatry. So to be clear, Eliashib was wrong in two ways. He allows someone who doesn't worship God to take up residency in the temple area, the center of worship. And secondly, he allows the temple storeroom to be misused. So he displaces food and worship materials. Basically, the point, if we summarize it all, Eliashib prioritizes this person above God. He prioritizes this person and this person's perspective of him above God. Why would he do this? Why in the world would that happen? Tobiah is an influential, wealthy man. We know that from earlier on in Nehemiah. So he's an influential man in the region. And... He's related to Eliashib through marriage. So get this. 
Because this is where it really connects the dots to the way we live our lives. Sometimes we allow relational and cultural pressure to influence us away from what God says. That's what Eliashib does. He's a priest. Some argue, depending on who he is, and there's a little bit of commentary that goes back and forth on this, but some believe him to be the high priest at the time. So whether he's the high priest or a priest, the fact is he has the authority over the the storeroom to displace the worship materials of God, and he leverages his influence. He says, as a priest, I love the Lord. And he functions in that way before the nation, day in and day out. And yet with his life, he lives otherwise. He allows relational and cultural pressure to influence him away from what God says. That's where we live, in that tension, in that Eliashib tension. If we go on and read verses 6 through 7, It says, while this was taking place, I, meaning Nehemiah, this is a a narrative as Meredith mentioned, so this is a story that that Nehemiah is telling of an account. He said, while while this was taking place, I, meaning Nehemiah, was in Jerusalem, was not in Jerusalem, (laughs) was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king, and after some time I asked leave of the king, and came to Jerusalem, and I then discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing, him, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. So Nehemiah is saying, like, listen, I can't even believe this happened. I came back, and he ends up taking the, the stuff of Tobiah and just tossing it out of the courtroom, and it, and it harkens forward to something that's reminiscent of Jesus going into the temple courts and flipping over tables and saying, this is the house of God. You've turned the Lord's house into something other than it should be. Nehemiah wasn't there when these decisions and actions took place. What does that mean? What does it mean? It might mean, well, then it's not his fault. Like the takeaway is, I wasn't here. I didn't know. But that's not the takeaway for us today. It means Nehemiah's influence on Eliashib wasn't as strong as he thought. In fact, Nehemiah's influence on Eliashib was contingent upon his physical presence. So when I'm there, Eliashib does what is right before me and right before God. When I'm not, Eliashib conforms to the worries and cares of this world. Listen, if the people you lead behave one way when you're present and a different way when you aren't monitoring them, then they behave out of fear, not obedience. They behave out of fear not obedience. It's important for us to understand whether we are in charge of a couple of people at work or if we have children or grandchildren or just babysit people. If the people that you lead behave one way when you're present and a different way when you're not monitoring them, they are behaving out of fear of the consequences in your presence. They're not functioning out of obedience. 
And it should stand to reason that this connects to how we perceive God. He feared Nehemiah, but he didn't fear God, right? Isn't that interesting? Eliashib, a priest, says, hey, when Nehemiah is present, I will do the things that are right before God. When Nehemiah is not present, I will do the things that are right before this world. I don't fear God. God is present. Isn't that that an interesting thing to think about? Because sometimes we live our lives where we make decisions that are integral in front of the people that are watching us, but who we are when no one's looking is who we are before God. And there's an inconsistency sometimes as if we fear people, but not God. Let me connect some dots. If we have minimized the gospel down to behavior modification and simply fearing the consequences of sin, then we are missing the entire point and we are missing the beauty of the transformational work of the gospel. This isn't about, let's just behave. What are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> this isn't like, oh, I'm afraid of, of hell. I'm, I don't want the consequences of sin, so by all means, behave. No. Have you minimized the presence of God in your life so much so that you're missing out on the beauty of the truth of the gospel? That says, no, we can actually live free and free indeed, that we don't have to be slaves to the sin of our life. That we don't have to run victim to the worries and the concerns of this world, but we can function as free people. If we make God that small, then there's further complications. When we think or feel that God isn't hearing us, or if we have a sense that maybe God just isn't present, you know, like things are tough right now, I'm, I'm not sure God is present then in those moments, the cultural and relational pressures come with their promises of wealth and influence, and we allow ourselves to be influenced into a lesser version of our one and only lives. And we go from gospel-centered influencers to worldly people just functioning like a gerbil on a wheel. God's saying, I created you for more. I knit you together in your mother's womb. I have a plan and a purpose for you. There there is greatness within you. Not, Not greatness according to the world's standards, but greatness within eternity's perspective that will sow into the lives and souls of others. The generation upon generation will be changed because of your willingness to lean in and say, I will be influenced by the truth of the gospel and I will leverage my life for eternal things. My goodness, let's not settle. Let's not settle to say, yeah, but, but I, I really want that car. Or I really need this promotion. What? Oh my goodness. We're missing it. We're missing the beauty of the freedom of the gospel. It's an obvious trap, and yet some of us run into it over and over again. We have moments of clarity. Some of you are having it right now, maybe. Like, oh, 
right. Right. Yeah, I know this. I know this. Didn't we just talk about changing the way we're going to prioritize things? Didn't we just have this conversation you're saying to your loved one or you're thinking in your mind or you're looking at the notes from a couple weeks ago and yet as time went on, the cultural pressures, the relational pressures and you fell victim to it again and and you're here again saying, "How how do I break the cycle? You see, obedience flows from a trust relationship. We obey God and his priorities because we know he's for us. Do you know the Lord? Have you allowed a relationship with God to saturate the way that you function in every sphere of influence? I've mentioned before, Meredith and I were 10 years as youth pastors and uh, we can think of countless times where we sat with a teenager and <laughs> said, hey, um, I don't think your parents are trying to control or destroy you. <laughs> it was like a reoccurring theme. Because in the life of a teenager, it often feels, and if you're a teenager in this room, I'm not picking on you. We've all been teenagers at some point. And, and, and so we know the tension of like, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure they're trying to end me. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you think? Like, you think your, your parents are like, all right, he's in bed. Now, how can we take all the joy from his life? Like, I'm not sure. What if we say no to everything he asks? Yes, yes, tell me more. Like, let's take his stuff, all of his stuff. You know, like, what are you talking about? We got better things to do. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, our parents loved us enough to create boundaries, to create a pathway of influence. And some of you are in this room and you're saying, no, actually, I suffered the consequences of my parents not caring enough to create boundaries, right? That's the the tension that we're in. We're, We're functioning and trying to establish boundaries and understand that. But you know what's so interesting? It's so amazing to me. We actually go from thinking that our parents are trying to destroy us (laughs) to then leveraging that same perspective towards God. Oh, yeah, God wants to take the fun stuff away. What? Yeah, yeah, I think think God might be trying to destroy me. (laughs) What are you talking about? Maybe God loves you and he created you and he wove you together in your mother's womb and he understands how it is that a human being is supposed to function when their heart is an idol factory and what it looks like to love the one and only true God. And if we would just understand that, we would experience freedom to the fullness and life to the fullness. And we could understand our purpose and his plan for our lives and we can enjoy the fullness of all that comes with that. Like, nah, that can't be it. Now, I'm not sure that's it. You see, it's, it's the same cycle. We don't grow out of it. We just, we just change the perspective on it. My goodness. Why won't we realize that? Why won't we break out of it? I want to tell you, because we don't understand how much God knows us, loves us, and wants the best for us. We are dealing with a lack of understanding in the gospel. Because even when we can't understand what he's doing, if we trust him, 
we can trust that he's at work on our behalf. You know what's required for that? A relationship. Correction without a loving relationship results in rebellion. Some of you guys have lived that, right? Correction without a loving relationship results in rebellion. You don't love me. You're trying to control me. Forget you. And then we put that onto God and we say, I have no relationship with God. So therefore I don't understand that he loves me. And so therefore forget you. And God is saying, you don't understand my love. That's on us. That's on us. Or are we in relationship with the living God? Because while we were yet sinners, scripture says, while we were enemies of God, he died the death our sin deserves. We're more loved than we could ever comprehend. And he paid the ultimate price for our sins. He displayed his unconditional love on a cross. That's the beauty of the gospel. But we struggle with, are we lovable? God God probably doesn't love me because I've messed up too much. What? I think the closest, the closest I can ever come to comprehending the idea of unconditional sin is when you hold a child that is yours for the first time. And I know that not all of us are parents, and so you'll just have to apo- I'll just have to apologize to you, and you have to understand the example. I think it can resonate. When there is this tender new life in your hands, and you're like, oh my gosh, like, whatever, whatever it takes. The love that wells up inside of you, the unconditional, like, yes, like, how is it possible that I can love so much? That is the love that God has for you. That's it. In that moment, this this kid, they, they couldn't do anything. I will never stop loving them. They could cuss me out. They could throw things at me. They could tell me they hate me. It doesn't matter. I love them for the rest of forever. Why can't we understand that's what God's love for us is? And you're like, yeah, but I've done too many wrong things. So what? He's paid the price. He's done it. So when will you walk in the loving relationship that God has paid for you? Will we allow the Holy Spirit to influence us? When confronted with our idolatry and sinful desires, will we choose to turn from our wicked ways and repent? Will we trust and worship him? That's, that's a choice we have to make. Because we are built to be trusting God. We're built for that. That's what we were created for. Will we choose to influence others with the good news of the gospel? You see, relationships require work and attention and intentionality. Will you work on your relationship with God? You can't sit back and say like, yeah, but I don't really, I don't really know what God wants from me. Did you ask him? Have you prayed? Have you spent any time digging through scripture? Have you considered the, the, the narrative that is your life and, and see his fingerprints and presence all throughout your life? Well, I haven't taken time for that. Then it's a one-sided relationship. God hasn't moved. 
We've backed away from him. Will you work on your relationship with God? We say every week that the text requires something of us. So I want to challenge you with a question that we can all consider, and the question is this. Where do I need to realign my life with the gospel? Where do I need to realign my life with the gospel? And this is not some works salvation where I'm telling you, like, roll up your sleeves and realign your life. No, I'm talking about reflecting and considering what are the actual values revealed in my life. By evidence, the way that I live them. And then taking the truth of the gospel and applying it to our life in a way that says, listen, but, but God says he loves me. God says he's for me. So how should that inform the way I deal with all these different things in my life? I'm gifted in this way. What does it look like to leverage that for his glory? I'm wired this way. What does it look like to leverage that for, for something eternal? When will we lean in to all that God has called us to do and be? Where do I need to realign my life with the gospel? Let's bow our heads. As we bow our heads, I, if you want to, to close your eyes, you can. I want you to resist the temptation to kind of to look around. The worship team is going to make their way forward because I want this to be a time where, where you reflect and you consider what it is that maybe the Lord's laying on your heart. For some of us today, to realign your life with the gospel really means to align your life with the gospel for the first time. Maybe you are not in relationship with the Lord. And if that's you today, it's as simple as praying a prayer. You can pray a prayer right now in the quietness of your mind where you are and come into a relationship with the Lord. And it's not a specific phrase or or actual words that need to be repeated, but the idea that Jesus died for your sins. The, The awareness that you are a sinner and a willingness right now in the quietness of your mind to say, God, I am a sinner, but you died for my sins. Will you forgive me? Come and be the Lord and leader of my life. And allow that to begin a relationship. For some of you, a relationship begins today. And if you're praying that prayer right now in the quietness of your mind and you're in this space, I would love to talk to you at the Next Steps area. There will be others that come up to me talking about all different things. You won't be singled out. But I want to talk to you about the Next Steps. And if you're watching live right now, you can cl- click Request Prayer if you're praying that prayer for the first time and you'll go into a private chat with one of our pastors and they'll talk to you about Next Steps. If you're watching or listening later on, you can always reach out to us through the Next Steps page of our website or via email. We want to walk alongside you in the decision you've made. For the rest of us today, this idea of realignment, maybe it means evaluating the trust relationship, looking at the priorities of your life, the story that your life tells, that reveals your values, that reveals your convictions. Places of your life where maybe you need to, to say, Lord, would you, would you do a work in me there? Would you change my heart? Maybe it means sitting down with a loved one or a spouse or a family member and saying, listen, this has to look different in our lives. We say it's this, and we, we've said it a hundred times, and something needs to change. Today's the day it changes. There's too much on the line. 
Eternity's in the balance. Let's realign our lives with the gospel. For others of us today, maybe if you're living in that trust relationship and you say, no, I I trust the Lord with all that I am and it's evident in the way that my life is fleshed out day in and day out, to you I would say, are you influencing others? Is the realignment with the gospel, meaning considering the, the story that your life is telling and the ripple effect of that in eternity. Here we have Easter coming up. It's the easiest low-hanging fruit to maybe invite somebody that would not otherwise come to church. Say, listen, why don't you come check out church? If that's what it is that you're, you're looking for, if, if that is the next step, but maybe it's a spiritual conversation. Maybe it means looking at someone that's heartbroken and saying, listen, I know what it's like to be heartbroken. I know what it's like to have a heavy heart. And I also know what it's like to experience the freedom and joy that comes only through God. Will you allow your story to influence those in proximity to you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we declare ourselves available. We want you to do a work in and through us. And we want to we wanna leverage and, and allow our lives to be influenced by you. We want to learn to follow you in every area of our lives. As men, as women, as parents, as children, as brothers, sisters, grandparents, spouses. God, we want to embody the fullness of life that you intend. And so we declare ourselves available and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us. And we worship you because you're worthy of worship. In your name we pray, amen, amen. Let's worship the Lord together.
So, Lord, we might, we might not understand the circumstances and the situations of our life, but we know that in the midst of it, you are present and that you're trustworthy and that you're worthy to be worshipped in the midst of it. And so we worship you. We worship you whether on the mountaintop or in the valley, God, you are worthy to be praised. And so we pray this morning that our worship was a sweet sound to your ear. And we pray that as we leave this place, the life that we live would be worship to you. The choices we make, the decisions that we make, the words that we choose to speak, Father, they would reflect a life that's been transformed by the work of the gospel. And so, Lord, we declare ourselves available. We pray you do whatever it is you want to do in and through us. And we pray for divine appointments as we process the implications of of your word today that you would realign and reorient the affections of our heart. We'd walk in the fullness that you have for us. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. I want to welcome you to, to remain, have coffee, eat food, hang out a while. I apologize that we went long. It was entirely my fault. So, um, but uh, obviously we like to get you out of here on time. And so thanks for sticking around. Uh, Feel free to hang out. You won't want to miss next week as we wrap up the series. And we'll take communion together as well. So it's going to be a great Sunday. God bless you as you go.